Welcome, church, to part two of Irresistible. One of our expectations out of this uh, series is that if you are a believer, you will, you, will, you will come out saying, well, I really, really need to share Jesus Christ. Because we would love you to come to a point where you remember what it was like to encounter him for the first time. Uh, and to have him impact your life so profoundly, so deeply that there was a life change that's still happening even now as you get to know him more. But for the person that's uh, uh, exploring Christianity or just they're not sure about whether or not they should commit their lives, we just want to say to you, if only you knew how gracious, how kind, how loving, how forgiving Christ is. You wouldn't waste another minute. You would say yes to him immediately and begin to walk on the path that he has marked for those that are called his children. So um, as we continue to look at this, uh, uh, the, the subject of Christ being irresistible, uh, I just want to go back a little bit to last week because Tammy shared a story of, of the, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And she said some very, very profound things concerning the conversation that Jesus had with that woman that day. It was such a, a, a very special moment for that woman who was a broken person, uh, somebody who was really not considered as worth hanging out with. Um, she was all by herself, but... Uh, Jesus had a conversation with this woman and something, something about the conversation that he had with her, it energized him to the point where he didn't want to eat anything. <laughs> he was energized. He was, he, he was um, uh, filled just from talking to her. And it tells you something about God's desire to really touch people, to, to, to fix people that are broken when they come with a willingness that, that, that says, well, I'm messed up, I need help. Because this is exactly what happened to this woman. Her whole life was transformed. And today we're going to continue looking at a similar story, continuing with the same theme, with the same motif from Mark 5. Uh, and it's Mark 5, verse 1 to 20. It's a story uh, where Jesus delivers a man from demonic oppression and possession. Now, that's a long passage, so we're not going to read it uh, all at once. But the bottom line of our message today is this, that Jesus is more than willing to take a life that's bent, to make it straight, and to restore it to its original purpose. That is why Jesus came. He didn't come for the people that were already fine. He came for the broken. He is the physician who came for the sick. And I, I, I was one of them. And Christ has had an encounter. I've had an encounter with Christ, rather. And, and I've seen what he can do on a life that is surrendered to him. So as we continue, as we begin to look at this, uh, the story of this man that met Jesus or that Jesus met uh, on the east side of the, of the lake as they, as they came out of their boat, 
I just want to say something that I believe is very true of Jesus and his, his desire to reach out. I want to say that Jesus was inclusive, that he always wanted to break barriers. He, wanted, he always wanted to reach outside of his people and to actually demonstrate to the people outside of the Jewish nation to tell them that there was hope for their troubles, that there was hope for the people that were bound. There was hope. This is exactly what he did even with the Samaritan woman when he encountered her. He gave hope. He spoke life into her. He gave her the living waters. And this is exactly what he is going to do to this man that he meets um, after coming out of the boat. Now, remember, they are coming from the Sea of Galilee where they just had a storm. And Jesus spoke to the storm and, and the sea was calm. He commanded it to cease. But when they get outside, out of the boat, they encounter a man with a storm that was not outside of him. It was inside because this man was under tremendous trouble. He was really a, a troubled man. Um, but I just want to say something about this region that Jesus comes to. It is a gentle uh, area with 10 cities. Um, and and he, he actually steps out of the boat and they go to a place where the burial place, a graveyard. And just at the moment they begin to walk towards the place, they meet this man who was in a very, very bad state, a very broken man. Now, Jesus is breaking barriers. He always wanted to break barriers. He always wanted to be inclusive. But what he was back then, we, the people of God, the believers, the people who are called the children of God, it is our duty to be all that nowadays because Christ has ascended and he has left us the Holy Spirit to live in us to help us do the work to spread the gospel and we need to be breaking barriers we need to be going out outside of our communities out outside of our comfort zones and and spreading the word of God uh, so that people come to know the Savior because Jesus was modeling um, to his disciples, how to treat people, how to approach the oppressed, and how to break barriers. Now it's our time. But Jesus comes to us with an exclusive claim and an inclusive command. The exclusive claim is this, that there is one God, and there is only one way to that one God. John 14, 6 says, Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father. That's the exclusive claim. But here's the inclusive command. It says, all authority is given to me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mark 16, 15 in the New Living Translation says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes 
and is baptized, baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. You see, it is because it is, it's because it is exclusive that it is actually inclusive. It is because there is one way to, to God that everybody must know this one way. And if it's as exclusive as that, then we, the people of God, must be as inclusive, as wide as the whole world. Everybody must be told. So that was my first point, that Jesus was inclusive and he always wanted to break barriers. The second point, this is where we're going to camp a little longer. The second point is this, that Jesus saw beyond the mess of this man. Reading from verse 1, it says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial uh, caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Now, before we, 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 look, we take a closer look at this man's condition, I just want to mention three very important things that we need to be mindful of as we consider humanity or, or man or people. I'm, I'm going to use that, those words interchangeably, but when I say man, I include women as well, you know, because these days you have to be politically correct, <laughs> you know. So these three important things are, number one, man's dignity. Man is not just a naked ape. He's not just an animal trying to climb out of the slime. He is made in the image of God. He's got that in him which only God can make, can give. And he's distinct from all other creatures. And God created man so that he can have deep communion, that he can have a relationship with man. <laughs> as cute as the labradoodle. You will never see a labradoodle going to Signal Hill and start gazing at the sunset and saying, wow, that's so marvelous, that's so beautiful, and even shed a tear. No, 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 no. There's something about a human being that's different from other animals. We have the dignity, the worth, and value that God created us with in the beginning. The second thing is man's depravity. Man is in a state of rebellion against God, and he does not want God, and he does not like God all by himself. And when, when he's told about God, he will find any excuse just to turn away the message. You know, you talk to people and they will tell you, by what authority do you dare to interfere with the private life of my religion? And it is considered rude for you to approach somebody, especially nowadays. It's so hard to knock on a door and to say, I'm here to share the love of Jesus Christ. It is regarded rude. By what authority do you knock at my door and start talking to me about my own soul? That's my business. And that's the kind of reply that you get from people. The third thing is man's dignity. You see, I'm trying to, to match up with, uh, 
with, with Jason who likes to alliterate things. <laughs> so dignity, depravity. The third thing is destiny, man's destiny. That if man persists in his own ways, he is going to perish, lose his life. 2 Peter 3.9 in the ESV says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That is what God wants. He wants all people to come to know him and have a relationship with him, have an encounter with him. So Jesus knows that this man he met in the region of the Gerasenes, he knows that a man in this state cannot live to fulfill God's intended purpose for creating them. And he has to do something about this situation. If you have a look at verses 2 to 5 of chapter 5, um, this man is under demonic influence, control, and possession. He's isolated from society. His morals are out of control. He's, he's running around naked, and he, he's got abnormal strength, and he's continually you know, frantic. He's loud, and he's making these unearthly sounds, very animalistic crying and screaming. He's, he's, you know, he's inflicting wounds on himself and there's confusion in his mind and in his spirit. He's got split personality and he's, he's schizophrenic, mm, that word. <laughs> and he's obsessed with death. He's aggressive, hostile towards others and exceedingly fierce. And being a burial place, Everybody from the ten towns, the Decapolis, must have known about this man. I don't think it was just a, a hidden issue. Everybody knew. Everybody uh, knew about this man's problem. Now, just a quick note on this man's condition. I know that uh, some people in the medical field who have studied psychology and psychiatry, you know, having read this passage some of them dismiss this condition and say, well, the, the, the Bible writers maybe just didn't know uh, how to describe these things, but we do now. You know, we have names for them. But I, I, I want to talk to you as somebody who's come in direct contact with people that were under such influence. There is such a thing as mental illness. That's something else. But there is also something called demon possession. It is really there. Um, why do I say this? Our attitudes and actions can and will be controlled by the one to whom we yield, to whom we surrender. And people can either surrender to God or surrender to, 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 to the enemy, the devil. Romans 6 verse 16 says, Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. People can submit themselves under the power of the prince of the air, who is Satan, and to the point where his influences 
override and supersede their own decision-making and the state of, of, of that person who submits themselves under the influence of Satan is very, very bad. And this seems to have been the situation with this man. Uh, but when he encounters Jesus, he runs towards him. In verses 1 to 7, you see the story. Whatever bound the man could not keep him from encountering uh, grace manifested in person. And when he encounters Jesus, this is so funny, <laughs> he tries to play the victim and he says, I beg you in the name of God, do not torture me. And Jesus tries to play along and says, okay, um, what is your name? <laughs> and he answered, legion, for we are many in verse 9. Now, later on, as you continue reading, the unclean spirits, they ask to be cast out of the out of the man, but into the pigs that were feeding on the hillside. And Jesus, without hesitation, grants them permission to go into the pigs. And look what happens. The pigs self-destruct. The effect that, the, that those evil spirits had on the man, they get into the pigs and the pigs rush into the, into the water and they get destroyed immediately. They self-destruct. See, that which destroys the self and makes community impossible is driven out and wholeness is restored to this man. But the good news for this tormented man is not that he was just accepted as he was. The good news is actually better because he is now transformed and restored to his creator, so that he can live the life that his creator intended for him to live, no longer distorted by powers that are alien to his created self. But in, in verse 10 to, to 13, we see that there is a controversy. A lot of people have tried to, to, to you know, give Jesus a bad name. People who don't want to believe in Jesus, they say, but why destroy the people's economy and livelihood? Why destroy the pigs? But when we, when we talk like that, we misunderstand what Jesus is demonstrating here. Jesus was willing to sacrifice 2,000 pigs in order to restore a man to his right mind, to his sanity. Now he can actually live a life that's full, a life that God intended for him to live because he's no longer under the influence of the enemy, but he has come back to his senses. See, it goes to show the dignity, worth, and value that, that is intrinsically in a human being, even in, the, in a state of destruction, even in, in a state where they are lost and they don't know who they are and all of that. They still value None of what can happen to a person can stop Jesus Christ from reaching uh, uh, them and to transform their life. Nothing can destroy the value of the human soul. Everybody is precious. As long as they still breath in their lungs, in their nostrils, they are still precious in the sight of God. And they can come to the knowledge of who Jesus is and actually be saved. Jesus Christ can change a life 
He does change lives. So I want to pause there and just encourage somebody who's been praying for a relative who's been lost in the world and you think there is no hope. Keep praying. Never give up. Keep praying because as long as they're still breathing, it means that Christ still has a purpose for their life and, and they can come to the knowledge of who he is. Let me, let me read this quote from Charles uh, Haddon Spurgeon. It says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Don't lose heart. God is able to reach that person you think is too far. The man in the story was, was forgotten. He was, he was useless to his society. There was nothing about him, nothing that anybody could have gone there to, to get. You, nobody could go to him for any help or, or anything at all. He was just a mess. And yet Jesus encountered him. Moving on in the story, verses 14 to 20, the herdsmen, they, they make the, the news go viral. They go into the villages, the towns, the Decapolis, and they spread the word about what had happened. And when they come back, a whole bunch of them, they found the man who was a threat to himself and everyone else, totally delivered and in his right mind. And they feared. And the former demoniac, this man who was delivered, he sees their attitude and begs Jesus to take him with. But Jesus did not permit him, saying, he said to him in verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had and how he's had mercy on you. This man knew that he owed Jesus his whole life. He knew that this that had happened to him is, is something that wasn't well known out there. But he's delivered, he's healed. He's in his right mind. And you know what? Here's a third point. Jesus counted on the man's testimony. This broken man, whose name we don't even know, is finally free and the people are, are like afraid, like, my goodness, who is this that can change this kind of life, that can have mercy on this messed up person? And here's the thing, Jesus wanted to win the whole Decapolis, the whole ten, ten towns, and he knew just the key to unlock that door so that everybody might, might, may know that the Savior, the Messiah has, had, has come to forgive them, to save them. You see, he was going to use this man as a key because a key is simply 
a broken piece of metal that is broken in all the right places. And this man was broken in all the right places in order to unlock a door to the, to the Decapolis. This messed up man had a purpose. Immediately he encountered Jesus. Herein we see how God is able to make all things work together for good. How he's able to fix a life that is broken and use it as a key for his own glory. See, God is counting on our testimony. He's counting on your testimony. Everybody has a story, and each story can unlock lives. Each story can bring about transformation. Each story can point to Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. You know, I, 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 I became a Christian at a young age, age 10, in, in our, our living room at the time, and it's my mother who preached to me. Um, but growing up, you know, in the later years as a teenager, I started listening to the stories that my friends told about themselves, how they, they would do this and they would do that. They would go to the club, they would drink and they would sleep around and all of that. And then finally Jesus met them and transformed them. It was so nice to listen to just the drama and all of that. And we saw how God can transform a life that was really bent and make it straight again. But listening to those stories, I looked at myself and I thought, man, I don't have a story. I don't have a testimony. And that affected me so badly to the point where I began to actually think, maybe I should actually just branch out. Now, remember, I'm a preacher's kid. And, uh, you know, there are stories about preacher's kids. They, 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 they do the very opposite of their parents and they go doing crazy things and it's publicly known because they are preacher's kids. You know, but I was that preacher's kid with that, with, with, without that kind of a story. And I was beginning to think, man, I don't really have a testimony until God convicted me one time. And God actually helped me to see how kind he's been, how I had counsel around me, how I had, uh, I was kept from going astray and then coming back, how he had worked in my heart to be accountable, to have people around me who cared for my soul and they give advice. And I would say no to things that could have led me along a path that was bad. And then I realized that even being kept from doing wrong things is actually a testimony. You encounter Christ and he plants seeds in your heart that cause you to be established, to be anchored, to not want to want to test the world and then come back. That is a testimony. And everybody has a testimony. You have people in your life that myself, Jason, Susan, or Tammy will never meet. We won't have that chance, but you do have a chance. They know you. They know what life you led before. They know how much God has done for you. You are the key because God has broken, broken you into, in all the right places in order to unlock certain lives. And God is counting on your testimony to present this irresistible Jesus. And we see the irresistible empathy and compassion of Jesus over this man, man who was demon-possessed, this man who had no name, who had no reputation. 
And we see Jesus making his life useful again, making him new, and he can do that in your life. Look at verse 20. It says, This man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Everyone knew that the Savior had come. The Savior can forgive sins. Do you remember that day when he touched your heart? Can you think about that for a moment? I'm concluding. Just, just take some time to think about that time when he touched your heart and you became his child. That newness of life that you experienced. But if you are a person that's saying, well, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't even know how to get into relationship. My life is such a mess. It's so bent. Look at this man. Jesus is more than willing to take a life that's bent and to make it straight and to restore it to its right purpose. If you are that person, you can just surrender to Jesus and say, Lord, I know I'm a mess, but I accept your forgiveness. I accept that all that you came to do here on earth was from me. And I know that you can forgive me, that you can make my life useful. Friend, no matter how big a mess you've made, the fact that there's still breath in your life today means that Christ is actually knocking, that Christ wants to have a relationship with you. He's more than willing. He's not intimidated by your mess. He wasn't intimidated by the mess of this man who would cut himself and do all kinds of things to his own body self-destructing, he is more than willing. And I want to pray for you today. I want to pray first for the believer, for God to rekindle that passion in your heart. But I want to pray for that one who's coming to faith in Christ, who wants to have a relationship with Christ, to say, Lord, help me to know you and have an encounter with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for your children that you may rekindle the fire, rekindle the passion in their heart, that they may not stay silent about your goodness and your kindness and to present you to the world and demonstrate how irresistible you are. But I pray for that person who's saying, I want to give God a chance to love me. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you may touch their heart and register in them that truly you are the Savior and that truly you are irresistible, that your empathy and kindness is available to anybody who would come. Just as you touched that man who was demon-possessed, you are able to make a difference in any life that would come to you today. Lord, I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you are saying yes to the Lord, just stay on. You're going to receive some instructions on how to get in touch with us and to uh, so that we we hear your story that we can help you give you some practical steps to really get into relationship with god and to get you into the community of believers who are going to walk with you just like that man who was delivered he had uh, a community that he lived in and i believe that's what god wants for you so Think about these things. If you are a child of God, if you are a believer, think about these things and 
Don't let that fire die down because God wants to use you as a key to unlock destinies, to unlock uh, uh, doors that, that may be shut. He wants to use your story, your testimony in order to minister to others. Thank you.